What's that? Welcome to Afoot, the mystery podcast from The Incomparable. I'm your host, David J. Lohr, and this week we're going to talk a very special series that premiered this year. Imagine, if you will, a cartoon opening, an apartment building, and we pass by various windows, and in our first window we see, uh, typing the next chapter for his next Bridget Sharp novel, Anthony Johnston. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) You're very welcome, David. It's lovely to be here. And the camera pans up to another window and we see, preparing some macarons and a new task for her agents of smooch, Annette Weirstra. Hello, David. My macarons are excellent. I will bring them up to your apartments later. Ooh, thank Mm. you. And we pan across to another window and looking in a mirror and practicing her Muppeteering technique, Kelly Gamont. I will take you down to the bone, mother- Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Hi, David. (laughs) (laughs) Spot on. And in our last window, I'm sitting here watching YouTube, checking out the If It Only Even Runs a Minute concert with all the music from Splash the Musical. (laughs) But just like that, we are all standing in the entrance of the Arconia, ready to talk about Only Murders in the Building, a, a mystery comedy series created by Steve Martin and John Hoffman that has been on Hulu in the U.S. and various Disney Plus channel things internationally and clearly we all felt the need to talk about it it is a show about a murder mystery that inspires a true crime podcast by true crime podcast fans it's as as alan suppenwall said it's one of the few times you have a parody that also gives you a really good example of the thing it's parodying if you haven't seen it there are going to be spoilers pause this go watch the show and come back because we're not going to explain anything. We're just going to launch into it. <laughs> and it's only 10 half-hour episodes, so it's not like it's a huge commitment either. That's, yeah, that's I mean, right. I think that's, that's one of the strengths. I'll, I'll kick it off and say I think that's one of the strengths of this show, is that it doesn't hang around too much. Uh, you know, you could easily imagine a worse version of this which is 10 hour long episodes yeah. where everything's padded out and there's loads of filler. And because they went for the half hour format, there was no need for that. I mean, one of the, I think one of the, f- not the few good things, but de- one of the definitely good things about the streaming age is people seem to have realized that you don't have to have 22 hour long episodes in order to feel satisfied by a season of a show anymore. And this really takes advantage of that. It's interesting you point that out because one of the things that I noticed in talking to other people about this, are you watching this show? I really need to talk to somebody <laughs> about it. Um, you know, is it a thing that you that that you are watching? I've heard, you know, like people are like, you know, I, I'm watching so many other shows right now. And I point and like every time because I sort of had the same thing with Ted Lasso sometimes was it's half an hour at a time. Yeah. Oh, it seems like a lot of viewers have sort of presumed that like everything comes to you in one hour units of entertainment and so pointing out to people like this is a half hour at a time seemed to help lower that barrier of entry for a lot of people like it's half an hour at a time and I think there's 10 episodes yeah and so you're not making like you said Anthony you're not making a massive commitment but I think a lot of people sort of presume like a show comes out 
an episode is an hour and this is what we're doing and so being able to tell people like no it's no it's it's a half hour and it's very very funny like is I think somehow uh getting was getting lost in a lot of the other discussion about it so it was very nice to be able to sort of reel some people in and and a large number of people were surprised which surprised me um that because they just presume everything's an hour now it's like it's a relief isn't it it's like i remember yeah. russian doll was the first series where that happened for me was everybody <laughs> right. was raving about right. russian doll and i was like oh god do i really i can't have the make time? that kind of time commitment right and then uh, a friend of mine went i don't know it's like six half hour episodes and i was oh thank god <laughs> i yes i watched the first eight episodes of this in one day with my friend and what? other a agent Kirsten Gorick and we sat on the couch watched and then halfway through we're like oh we need dip <laughs> we literally just <laughs> had dip delivered and sat in and dip things and watched the rest of the what was available and we had to get back together for the last two episodes but it like it was it was fun it was just like a day where we curled up in blankets on the couch and eating dip and laughing a lot and speculating and talking and it was just like such a fun experience and i like now can't imagine be like well the next season i'm gonna do the exact same thing we're gonna hang out together <laughs> watch it <laughs> well and it's it's a show that now i'm not a fan of the binge watch as as in like we'll drop all the episodes on day one and then people can just watch them all but it but it binges really well it's not a show mm -hmm. that uh, belabors the point or gets you know repetitive or tiring as you're watching it. it 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 plays really nice changes in each episode and and you you really enjoy the characters by the end um well there's a lot of things too like when you're watching together where you have those reveals where you're just like ah and you have to like right. scream a little bit pause and be like what what yeah. just happened and have a little <laughs> chat about it and uh that was really fun I came in like I think the fourth episode had just aired was when I came into it I think um and so having to get that little because it, it's like every episode sort of has this like little hand grenade that get gets lobbed about 10 seconds before the end credits and then it's like see you next Monday and uh having to sit with that with for a week was a very different experience especially when uh, like experiencing it uh, let's see if I can pronounce my air quotes correctly live because um, now like if you go sit down to watch one episode a week if you go look something up you're gonna find the whole series all laid out for you on reddit or whatever and so mm -hmm. doing it live and sort of being able to to drop into some of those discussions and see people go oh of course it's this person oh, of course it's not that person and they're both pointing at the same scene of the episode <laughs> to support their point <laughs> and watching 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 people sit with it and like kind of have that to chew on until the next episode drops um is one of the things that I really like about one of the things that I think is still great about doing a show like this where there's uh, some mystery to figure out and there's something to be revealed at the end, whatever that reveal may be. Uh, and and having that laid out for you and having that time in between to chat about those things, I think, really lends itself to a show like this. And I really hope they do it again with the other one. I saw uh, somebody online talking about like, you know, basically, like, what are they thinking dropping shows like this weekly? Like, that's so old school. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Like, look at The Mandalorian. Like, if Disney Plus had dropped The Mandalorian all at once, you know, 
Disney would have got two solid weeks out of it, and instead they got two and yeah. a half months by yeah. doing it once a week. And mm-hmm. this is the same sort of thing because, like, other people I knew that I was talking, you know, like I said, I was like, I'm watching this show, and I really need to talk to somebody about it who's watching this. And uh, and it was easy to reel people in because, like, you could watch all those episodes up to where it was up to the most recent episode that had been broadcast. I guess that's what you call it. Um, and then. Uh, get in on sort of get in on that conversation in between episodes until we got to the end of the season and it was really fun the the netflix model of dropping it all in once yeah you get a day or two of hey the new show dropped and people talking about oh it's really cool watch it and then that's about it that's about the level of conversation is hey it just dropped and and there's no build right and so you get to see with like Star Trek Discovery and the Mandalorian and Ted Lasso and all of these things that are going back to that weekly drop. Uh, you see the conversation growing and evolving over the course of two months, two and a half months, three months. And, you know, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to build that conversation, why you wouldn't want to have that anticipation. I mean, my 16 year old uh, got hooked on this right away because they did drop the first three episodes at once. And and I think there was a reason for that, and I'll, we'll get to that when we start talking about the plot. But we did pace them. We, we watched them one a night for three nights the first week. And after that, every Tuesday night, he'd have Hulu fired up, and he'd be like, can we go? Can we go? Are we ready? Are we ready? Let's, let's watch. Come on. Come on. <laughs> and, you know, it was delightful to see and, and trying to figure out, trying to, follow the plot and say, all right, who do we think it is? And, oh, it changed. And, you know, that was delightful. I wouldn't trade that for anything. That's the thing with a show specifically that's a mystery. You you want people speculating mm-hmm. like that. You don't want them necessarily barreling straight through all the episodes. I mean, obviously, it still worked for Annette because she's here talking about it on the podcast. It clearly still works <laughs> in that sense. But in terms of the sort of wider social media conversation and publicity that they get from it, it really helps to have those gaps where people are speculating. Like, we we did wait until it was all available, but similar to what you said, Debbie, we watched like two episodes a night, so we watched it over a week essentially um but that was also helped by the fact that like we didn't know anybody else who was watching it (laughs) so um it was really easy for us to avoid spoilers on social media because we were like we don't know anybody else who's talking about this um and so yeah we just watched as i say a couple of episodes every night but we did continually go through them uh because it kept us it pulled us through because of those cliffhangers that Kelly mentioned at the end of every episode, those little hand grenades. It's uh, it, one of the things that I really liked about the show was that it was a, I mean, you know, a murder mystery show is a concept as old as the hills, but combining it with the parody of real uh, true crime podcasts and then executing all of that so well, like there is no... There is nothing left hanging here. There are core. Yeah. Everything is called back yeah. to. Everything is made use of. All its component parts fit and interlock beautifully uh, in a way that you know if you if you know how uh, sort of mystery stuff works, you can really appreciate just from a craft point of view. And it's really nice to see something that not only has a great concept but also executes so well and yeah as a result like i say brings you back from episode to episode 
and and it's so beautifully crafted uh you know it does play fair with the audience yep but it does all of these beautiful meta tricks to just it's it is the smoke and mirrors effect right it's like oh we we've revealed something in episode two that you know if you remember it and you know what it is hey you figured out who it was but 99 percent of the audience isn't gonna figure that out because they don't know what this little device is and and who it might be important to or why they why it would be where it is and you know but yeah it's just that that hand-waving meta thing of suddenly we have narrators talking to us directly suddenly we have the various characters joining in and you're like hey, wait wait what's going on but, but it all works and what i appreciated about it was that it was it was definitely you know parody of like the whole true crime podcast situation but it was never mean and it was never uh, it was always like a very clever reference and it kind it played if you are somebody who listens to those and gets hooked on that kind of thing and it played as just a funny thing like oh look they're you know they're goofballs that listen to a podcast like if you're not somebody involved in that and so like they were able to like when I was thinking about like what we would end up talking about today like first of all it's got all of the parody stuff in it second of all it's got all the the murder mystery stuff in it and third of all like it's trying to be a comedy and so like you have to balance all of those things all of the time so making all of that work was was the part that I was impressed by almost as much as I was impressed by the collective power of the Steve Martin Martin short Rolodex um, which I feel like is another piece of this show that we're gonna have to talk about at some point but um the only thing I think that I felt um maybe left hanging was the podcast they were listening to in the first place like oh, I yeah. want to go listen to that <laughs> podcast and find out what's the deal with what the dog found and you know what is the thing that they're listening to like I wanted to go here that story because I'm convinced that even though it wasn't in the show that they wrote the whole thing and that it absolutely is a thing that exists in like the show Bible or something and that it's out there and I really want like maybe they'll drop that in between now and the second season which we know is confirmed and you know we'll get to listen to the rest of that story and find out how it ends which I know is way less important than the murder that happened down the hall <laughs> but um that was like the only thing when I was thinking about like yeah like they wrapped everything up and I'm like oh but except the podcast that put them all together in the first place <laughs> don't you think though there's a missed marketing opportunity because Kirsten and I kept coming back to they should be dropping the podcast episode by episode. Right? I was like, they, <laughs> oh, like nice. I would, I know that it's the same information, but I would listen to that a hundred percent. Be <laughs> yeah. like, watch the episode, listen to the podcast. And because we also didn't get like all of the information out of it. So yeah, I wanted the action. I wanted to listen to both of them. The one yeah. that put them together and the one that they produced. Like I wanted to hear both of those and see what they sounded like. I, I think though, one of the, things that this show and again talking about the half hour format one of the things that it does really well is not give you too much and i wonder if that's exactly. kind of you know it's a bit like uh ust on shows like the x-files and stuff you know we all say we want it but then when we get it fair suddenly it's ruined yeah <laughs> well, fair. you can do it it's hard but you can like you know the the coach beard episode of ted lasso like everybody wants more coach beard and we got more coach beard but we didn't get any more about him right but we still didn't get any too of much. his life he is no he is no more or less mysterious than he was 
True. When the episode started. And that was exactly what I wanted out of it. I was worried about that episode and they did a great job. And yet that episode is kind of polarizing. I mean, my, I got my wife hooked on Ted Lasso and she got to that episode and has paused. She hasn't seen the rest of the season two <gasps> because that so turned her off. She's oh. like, I don't I don't care. This I, who cares about this? So I know a lot of people who didn't like that episode. Right, but that's, but that's for a different but... reason. That's because they yeah, don't oh, care yeah. about that that's... character, not because, like, oh, now that I've learned all this stuff about Coach Beard, the character's no more longer interesting well, to me. It's, yeah. it's not even that. It's I mean, she likes the character, but it's it's that it was just such a random thing that had no connection to anything. She didn't care about the references to After Hours or any of these other things. It was just like, well, that was more than I wanted of him. I like him in small doses. He's he's a nice ingredient. He's not the focus, you know. And I get that. Like I like I have a, a copy of the the Klingon Hamlet. They actually put out an official yes. Star Trek book of the Klingon Hamlet. I have it, and too. I've never been able to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get a certain way into it. Well, and you like, don't speak Klingon for a start. <laughs> well, that's that's part of it. Yeah, it but, really but loses like, something if it's not in the original Klingon. I have to say, <laughs> y'all went to a lot of trouble to make this real, and yeah, okay, good for you. And I should say, I didn't buy it full price. I bought it for, <laughs> but still, still. Do you know, one of the other things I really liked about this is a bit of a tangent, uh, but one of the things I wanted to mention before we start talking about the episodes per se was uh, in the reaction to it, I was amused to see the generation gap at play, as it were. And <laughs> I don't recall who it was. I think it was somebody, I think it was another incomparableist, and I don't think it was any, any of us, but I'm not sure who now, saying, uh, talking about the show with... Uh, a younger relative and saying like you know that new steve martin show and the the son daughter nephew niece whoever it was saying like oh you mean the new selena gomez show with the old guys right oh was oh was it right yes that was me that was me and it was like they had no (laughs) idea who steve martin or martin short is and they didn't care (laughs) but it was like when you say selena gomez then they were hooked in so like that was clever casting but also that generational storytelling worked really Mm. well for the story too but it was like yeah they had um, and like it's so hard for me to comprehend that you don't know who Steve Martin is, especially. Well, but, it, but, but it works in reverse as well, because I had no idea who Selena Gomez was until this show. Like, I had vaguely heard the name, mm. but I could not have picked her out of a lineup. I have not <laughs> heard any of her music or seen any of her movies, TV shows, anything that she's done. This is the very first thing she's done that, that I've ever seen or heard um so if you'd said to me the new selena gomez show i would have said who (laughs) oh you mean the new steve martin show with that young lady um i will say that however though she was brilliant that's the other thing that because i'd never seen her i had no idea what to expect and i was Mm. blown away by how good she was she was just yeah pitch perfect and very good against the two of them Mm -hmm. too exactly yeah held her own you know like that the the three of them together have such chemistry and you know, to walk into a show and sort of be the new kid. Cause yeah, she had a TV show, a TV series. Um, but you know, does not have like they, the other people, there are many other people in the show who have multiples of her entire life as their years of experience in (laughs) show business. (laughs) And so to, to walk in and go up against Steve Martin and Martin short and Nathan Lane and, 
Yeah. All know, of hang whom out are with literally Sting. old enough to be her grandfather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but to not just be there, but also like for the characters to find things in each other that they genuinely liked and for them to end up caring about each other by the end. And we get mm. the imaginary speech from Steve Martin at the end down in the boiler room. <laughs> and like, and every bit of that felt legit. It absolutely felt like something like totally believable for having watched them uh, get together and get to know each other and all of it through the series. Um, watching all of that happen was super fun. And like, you know, on top of, cause on top of the murder mystery, like all of them have their own stuff that they're covering up that we find out about yep. through the course of the show. So there's like all of the interesting character stuff that happens on top of the murder, on top of the parody, on top of the, the other stuff that they end up doing. And so Watching all of that unfold as well was also super interesting and and absolutely made sense. Every once in a while you get a show where they put some people together and you're like, but I don't get why they hang out or I don't understand what it is that they like about each other and they don't or they don't seem to get along. And like all of this seemed really, really great. And it was just very entertaining to watch. And like in interviews and stuff, they look like the three of them have very much enjoyed each other's company. And like they get along now as as great friends, which was never a thing I would have expected. But like, Mm. it's one of those things that like, now that I know that that exists, like I, I I hold that up as more evidence that this is not the darkest timeline. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I also know of a lot of families that are watching it together. So it's hitting the mark on bringing like that, bringing those oh, cool. generations together to watch something that everyone is really loving. So and excited about doing what you said, David, it's like they're all waiting to watch it together so that they can say they can enjoy it all as a family. Well, and it's it's funny, like. It, yes this is me it's gonna be a weird household uh this is a household where the the kids grew up knowing who steve martin and martin short were you know we've got sctv on dvd i do ed grimley impressions you know that's just part of life here and and you know i've quoted steve martin albums at them and you know so so they knew that but they were also young enough at the time that that they remember the wizards of waverly place which was selena's show on disney channel mm-hmm. way way back which was a fine, well-made, insipid magic comedy uh, for kids. But she was great in that. You know, it was it was one of those things where, you know, we'd leave the TV on and there'd be all these terrible shows. And then you'd be like, well, she's got talent. <laughs> and then you'd go back to, you know, oh, it's The Sweet Life with Zack and Cody. Oh, forget it, you know. Well, and, and uh, you mentioned all of that all that previous Steve Martin stuff. That was another thing about this that kind of surprised me. I'm actually not that big a Steve Martin fan. Um, yeah, I've been aware of him for many, many years, but for, <laughs> some, for somebody who clearly reveres British comedy and Monty Python and stuff the way he does, I've never... And that stuff all, you know, I love Monty Python and all that sort of traditional British knockabout comedy. Steve Martin's comedy has always fallen flat for me. Uh, you know, Very rarely gets a proper belly laugh out of me for one reason or another i don't know why but this i thought he was brilliant in and it really did make me laugh this is the the best thing he's ever done in my opinion it's it's definitely it shows a range of all the kinds of things he does which surprised me i was i was wondering you know is this going to be a crazy knockabout steve probably not because he's much older and he's a little more mature is it going to be juvenile steve is it going to be uh, shop girl and object of my affection, Steve, which is, <laughs> mm, you know, I mean, he's 
a fine novelist. Is he great? Eh, I don't don't really care about his novels. But, uh, you know, this lets him be very subtle. This is more like the Roxanne era of Steve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but then it builds to some beautiful slapstick by the end. And, you know, clearly the creator of the show gave himself some of the best scenes by the end. But, you know, that's it. There's also oh, a sure, little bit of that whimsy of he brings, too. Like, where you have, like, those yes. ridiculous things, like the stairway thing with Martin Short when he's at his son's house. And these different little elements. I'm like, oh, that's very Steve Martin. Just mm-hmm. whimsy, random but, nonsense. But, but it's also... It's not just the sort of him getting giving himself the best comedy slapstick and stuff. There's also his performance was one of the best that I've seen from him as well. That's the thing, like his timing, because you can give somebody the best line in the world, but if they can't deliver it, it's going to fall flat. But he, <laughs> yeah. his timing in this and his the character comedy, I thought was every bit as good as the, you know, yes, obviously the hilarious, the final episode stuff you know that 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 was great but besides all of that everything else uh as i say the character comedy and what have you i thought he just did really well better like i say than i think i've seen him do ever and these are very richly drawn characters that helps yeah which is not something we always expect well i think this is also one of those moments where um like a thing you see with Jim Carrey a lot is even when he's trying, even when it's not a comedy or whatever, when you watch, you're still getting the Jim Carrey of it shining through. And that's not always the thing that you want in that particular thing. And I feel like we didn't get a lot of um, the Steve Martin in Steve, you know, like that you think of Steve Martin well, in this. Well, excuse me. Right. The Steve Martin yeah. persona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was no wild yeah. and crazy guy or any of that coming through. It was much more like... You were saying, David, on the Roxanne end of the scale, um, because it was this guy playing this character and it wasn't, you know, there was never a banjo anywhere in the series (laughs) or anything like that to sort of call out, like, in case you forgot, this is Steve Martin, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know, and I think even part of that got subverted even further when his stunt double showed up and some of like some of the stuff i think that might be anthony why you why you enjoyed this a lot is because like the pieces of what makes everybody so aware in some cases excruciatingly so of steve martin in the world like none of that stuff showed up in this show true and the stunt double was brilliant that was such a good episode (laughs) i laughed but that the moment when they they the reveal where you're Kristen and I were shouting turn around turn around because we wanted to see who it was because you knew it was yes. going to be good and then we just yes. screamed when we saw it mm. it's like yes <laughs> and and now we've we've mentioned the the Steve Martin Martin shirt Rolodex but another thing that I think really gives this show layers and depth is that it's shot in New York, and they're taking advantage of all the Broadway and off-Broadway mm-hmm. theater actors too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know people like I know people who are like, "Oh, the Selena Gomez show," or "Oh, the new Steve Martin." I know people who are like, "Did you see Jane Howdy Shell and Jackie Hoffman?" Yes. Oh my God! Right? Um, you know, and it's like they're even though they barely appear, they're fully realized too. They are three-dimensional people. I feel like we, you could have done an entire series about any of the other people that lived there. Um, the woman that wanted to knock down the walls into Tim's apartment. Uh, the guy whose cat died, whose name is escaping me right now. Evelyn. Um, Howard. 
Evelyn, Howard uh, and Bunny, Evelyn, yeah. like any, I feel oh, like an entire we... series about Bunny. I mean, oh, I feel yes. like we've had, hasn't, isn't that already a thing? <laughs> no, just, well, just that we, we could have, because every one of those characters, like, I feel like we sort of crossed over into an episode of their show because they're their own thing. Yeah. They've got a whole other right. like situation happening and, and, and you don't always get that from your your second or third or fourth or fifth tier characters in something like this. And I felt like every one of those people is going to be a spinoff, you know, like at some point, like they've got enough with just what we got in this series, you know, to like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern this and turn our main characters into the second or third tier of whatever that series is. And it would work because all of them were super interesting. Well, and that is part of why it works as a murder mystery. And David knows this as yes. well. This is oh, when, yes. you, when you're writing a murder mystery, you need lots of red herrings. You need lots of characters mm -hmm. who could have done it, even yeah. though they didn't. You know, lots of viable suspects. And the way you do that is by making all of those secondary characters feel real, by filling them out, by making them fully realized, three-dimensional characters. Um, now, in, in a show like this, obviously, a lot of that comes down to the performance as well. But also, that's why you cast people like Jackie Hoffman in there, because you're yeah, like, right. well, you know, I know who that person is. It's it's famous person on Law and Order Syndrome. Like, I recognize <laughs> that actor, and therefore, they might be the murderer. Um, you have to have those well-rounded characters for the mystery to work because if you don't care about any of them and if they're all cardboard cutouts then you wind up going well it clearly right. can't be any of them and so there's only maybe three viable suspects left and for a, a full series that's not enough and and for instance you know you you have nathan lane who is a fantastic comic actor he's very capable of doing cartoonish and loud and broad and camp and he's brilliant at it but he's also really good at doing this mm. and uh, and you find, hey, he can actually do uh, Sinister Evil pretty well. <laughs> We've never seen him do that. Uh, the man has get, won several Tonys, I believe. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You'd hope he's good. And, <laughs> and and you get you get halfway through the series and you're like, well, it can't be him. It can't be tying up this soon. Uh, and of course it doesn't. But you cast someone like that to get that law and order effect of, well, of course it's him. Yeah. Of course he's involved. Well, and I, I think yeah. what works too is like all of them are really viable and you go like you ride with them and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, but wait. Oh, yeah. Oh, but wait. Except for the sting part, which was just like so silly and funny. <laughs> it's just delightful. But it's like they're all really viable except for oh. sting. And you're just like, stop it. Like, you know, train. I, I love so much that they even called that out in the fans episode when they're yes. complaining about the Sting episode. Yes. Being like, we knew it was never going to be Sting. A whole episode with no stakes. <laughs> How meta is that? And that was one of those moments oh. of like, oh, you all waited through way more of these than you needed to in order to yeah. make sure you got it all correctly. Like yeah. you could just feel the homework ooze out of the fans, I felt like. Yeah. And it was it was delightful. And I, I really enjoyed seeing because for a minute when he when when they went to talk to him and he was super cagey about it, I was like well, oh well. Yeah, are they actually going to do this? Like, for a second, it's plausible in the moment. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like, I mean, we got all these other people that would be interesting, and then, and and then I was like, 
I mean, it's not like it, like if it was, it was a horrible accident or something, you know, and then he comes out and goes, oh, I <laughs> shouted at him and then he was dead. And, you know, and I was like, oh, thank God. So <laughs> it, was, it was, but it was super fun to watch. And again, I think that just speaks to, you know, the collective Rolodex. Like we know people in the neighborhood that we could get to come and, and shoot for an afternoon or two with us. And, but like everybody, everybody, like all of the characters are interesting. Even the people that had like very, very small parts, like we still got to see a whole lot of something really interesting out of them. And, you know, and like talk about economy of storytelling. We have an entire episode that basically didn't have any dialogue until the oh, yeah. end. Mm-hmm. And the end was a very small piece of was like, like was we got line, in, yeah. I think is all he says for an entire episode. And it was fascinating and it was really interesting to watch that episode unfold like for me that was one of the really notable parts of the whole thing yeah i like that episode and remind me of the magicians that also did that with a deaf character where a huge like not a whole episode but a huge portion of the episode was kind of from their perspective and had no sound and it was just so good to sort of take you into that character's world and have especially like you're seeing the, the talking from like uh, Nathan Lane talking to his son and I was just like mm-hmm. that's so great and I like flipping your perspective a- in ways that you don't expect and like that they spent a lot of like almost a whole episode as you said doing that which was so good well uh, and doing it through sound design as mm-hmm. well yeah the the fact yes. that they didn't have the regular sounds going on while the deaf character was just walking around yep. you know using sign language or something I yeah I thought that was a nice I mean, not it wasn't that subtle, but it was something that they didn't have to do. Like you could well imagine that they could have not done that and had regular sound design throughout the whole episode, and nobody mm-hmm. really would have. Or so I say, nobody. That's not fair. People with hearing wouldn't have noticed. You know, we right. wouldn't necessarily have noticed it. It only would have stood out to somebody who maybe has experience or works with uh, people with hearing loss. So having that just for that one episode i thought was a really nice sympathetic touch Mm -hmm. and no music either because it would have been easy to fill that silence with music or a soundtrack oh yeah that's a good point it's like there's no music you were actually having a silent episode that was entirely visual which is also just interesting from a creative perspective in terms of flipping your viewers into just focusing on the visuals and paying attention differently to the story Although it did remind me some some of the forces that they had to do with the speaking characters to get them not to speak mm-hmm. were a little strained at times. It reminded me <laughs> there was an episode of, I think it was CSI New York, where the pre-credits, sorry, the pre-titles, cold open, nobody, there was no dialogue. It was the same thing where they were all just like gesturing at one another and yeah, raising an eyebrow and what have you. And I'm sure that it was a, probably a bet in the writer's room just because it had nothing to do with the episode. The episode wasn't about hearing loss or anything like that. And I'm sure it was just them going, can we do this? Can we actually do eight minutes of, you know, investigating? Because of course, it's something, it's so routine. They've done that investigating mm-hmm. a crime scene so many times that I'm sure the thought was, well, they don't need to say anything to one another. But actually, you kind of do. And you, you mm. could really see the cracks starting to show <laughs> in that scene. Yeah. And I felt that a little with this one, with some of the some of the scenes between um, Steve Martin and Selena Gomez. Really, there was no reason that they 
shouldn't have said one or two words there. You know, I appreciate the effort and I appreciate that it was, you know, the the device of the episode, but you could see the cracks a little bit in that one. A little bit, yeah. But it was really interesting as a, uh, to, uh, like we've all kind of seen like we're going to take one of our characters and and have an, an episode or a stretch you know that's completely from their point of view but to have it be from the point of view of a deaf character and and you know like once I realized that's what they were doing like we're going to get I didn't realize it was going to be the entire episode until I got to the end but to be put like in his shoes more than just we're going to show him having a conversation with somebody using sign language like that piece of it I thought was really interesting and it was very and I thought it was it was really really well done the way the way they went about it and then you know the way that he ended up having a friend because her cousin is deaf and so she knew sign language so she was one of the few people that could actually communicate with him and stuff um like it was i i liked the some of the creativity that went into setting up what his world was like and what his point of view on all of the people in the building and how he interacts with folks throughout the day was it was it was interesting well and it being so integral to the plot as well yes right Mm -hmm. well in in terms of the the craft of the entire story uh, it, you know, because there are there are, there is a death in a separate time period. There, there's a whole other thing that they accidentally solve because of this <laughs> yeah. case. And it was interesting to see how that framework started out very slow. It was just uh, Selena's character and, you know, these four uh, teens, early 20s types. And, but they're just this core group. Right. And then we start to see how that group interacts with people in the building and how everything is more connected and then how those connections bleed down into the present day well exactly and i think it speaks again to how like a modern crime novel basically this whole story mm-hmm. is it's you know whoever i know steve martin and john hoffman created it but i assume they didn't write all the episodes by themselves and no, whoever no, the writing team as a whole clearly had a very very firm grasp a good familiarity with modern crime fiction because so much of this played out and was constructed like uh, a crime novel with yeah you know the two separate crimes being interlinked and you you think what you think it's all one and then it splits into two Mm -hmm. but then the two are actually connected after all at the end and you think they've found the murderers but then they haven't because there's still a second part and all the red herrings there the whole thing was and at times it wasn't necessarily to its advantage because if you have read enough modern crime (laughs) you could kind of see where the red herrings were where the bluffs were where the misdirection was uh but nevertheless you you know you can't account for that with everybody that uh you know most people aren't going to be in that position and so you know these things work as a writer when you're constructing a mystery you know that this misdirection will work yes it might be more obvious to people versed in the genre that it's misdirection but you still kind of need to do it somehow um so yeah it was I, i just really appreciated the as you said the craft of it was it was so well constructed and it made good use of all the sort of modern tropes while subverting a few of them as well. Uh, that yeah, the whole thing just felt really kind of neat and satisfying. And and so one of the things that is beautifully set up is uh, what 
Martin Short's character assumes is a sex toy in the <laughs> yeah. victim's apartment. Again, he, classic he, misdirection. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They pull it out in episode two and he waves it around. He's like, what is this? I have no idea what I, this did is. Did Kirsten and I have a conversation about how would you use that as a sex toy? Yes, we did. <laughs> well, like, what I was like, what, what would you do with it? And, and how far does it go that you would pull in this? And I just, no, I don't want to know. You're like, why are you touching it? Stop touching it. That was definitely my, like, there should be way more hand sanitizer yes. involved in you rooting around in that box <laughs> well, than there has and, been. But what's interesting is I saw, I saw an interview with John Hoffman where he said, you know, yes, we were a little nervous about making that obvious in episode two on the off chance that there were people that would recognize that it isn't actually a sex toy and and i think that is part of why they they bunched those three episodes right up you know they released them all at once so that it's sort of like you're overwhelmed with 90 minutes of this it gets lost in the mix yeah exactly yeah. because i have friends who are bassoonists i knew exactly what it was <laughs> i'm like that's not a sex toy <laughs> And and they said that's we were nervous that people would recognize it. It totally could be. <laughs> but that is that is again that is part that is a, a technique that you use. You bury the important yes. thing in a list of unimportant things, and therefore people will assume that. Well, first they'll assume that it's not important because it's in a list of other unimportant things, and secondly, you assume that most people won't recognize it for what it is. And like I say, you can't account for the specialists. And right. the sort of the diehards who might be able to figure something out or might know, yeah, what a something that looks like a sex toy but isn't is. You were gonna have to gamble that someone who played the bassoon might also watch this, ep- this right. series. It, exactly. <laughs> if you try to account for that, you would never. You'd be paralyzed. You'd never write anything because uh, you kind of you think, well, but this person might recognize this, and some other person might recognize that, and what have you, and you'd wind up with no story at all. So you have to just take the risk that you can at least again misdirect the people who do recognize it and have them think oh those fools they don't recognize what that is and then forget about it by the time you actually (laughs) get to the bassoonist character but that i think also introducing jan quite a bit later in the series so we she's not part of the Mm -hmm. series you know Mm -hmm. uh so that you don't even if you might have sort of recognized it, you might forget about it by the time she shows up. Right. So exactly. You know, like you right. might not, you, you might not realize it's significant because there's a whole lot of things they're tossing around. And and you have a, a character you trust pulling it out, saying, "Oh, a sex toy," and you know, you go, yeah, all right, sure, I believe it. You go therefore, yeah, it must be a sex toy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so as soon as Jan was introduced, I was like, "Up, oh, okay." And then I wasn't sure if that was going to turn out to be a red herring. Or if that was going to be, you know, well, yeah, she did it. Anthony, you pointed this out, too. The moment where she's kind of joined them to to say, oh, you know, it could be the cat guy. I think it was the cat guy. I bet it was the cat guy. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I know. I know where it's going now. We were were pretty suspicious of her. Even when she got injured, Kirsten was like, well, at first we thought she might have been murdered, but we're like, she totally did that to herself. She's inserted herself. And but again, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of the genre. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. If you didn't, then that might not cross your mind. Yeah. And the same with the whole insistence on the cat guy. It's if you're not 
an avid you know, reader, viewer, whatever of crime dramas, that might just you might go, well, actually, yeah, that's a point. They did suspect the cat guy and then they forgot about him. So maybe she's right. And they're just, she keeps emphasizing it because they're ignoring her. But if you are familiar with the genre, then you go, wait a second, why are they putting <laughs> so much attention on this? There's no need to emphasize this quite so much unless it's going to be important. Well, but regardless, we liked hating her and being like, we are super oh, yeah. suspicious of you. You're hiding a lot of stuff and we are going to be very angry at you. Don't mess with poor Charles. So, Well, and, and the beauty of having Martin Short's character uh, be very, you know, oh, yes, your contributions have been wonderful. Go away. You know, <laughs> well, by having him immediately be like, get the hell away from us. They were so mean to her and we loved it. You know, it can't be her because, you know, she's she's Steve Martin's girlfriend. It, it does you put know. you on her side a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because you're yeah. like, wait a second. There's no need to be so mean to her. <laughs> you know, it's 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 very much like a good magic trick. You have a character you trust telling you a thing that is clearly either a lie that they don't want you to realize is a lie or a truth. They don't want you to realize is a truth. And you go with them instead of what your brain is telling you. Well, or they tell you a lie, which you figure out is a lie, but of course they wouldn't know that you're going to figure it out. And the real right. lie is buried behind that. And that's mm -hmm. another thing that this, that mo you know, modern crime does and that this show did so well, uh, especially with things like the, uh, the jewel heist stuff, you know, the body, the grave robbing uh, stuff, because yeah, that was hidden. It was a secret that you had to figure out. And then when you did figure it out, that makes you more inclined to think, ah, yes, that must be it. Therefore, this is the big secret and uh, they must also be responsible for the murder. And of course, the real, the truth is buried another layer deeper than that. Yeah. And again, it just speaks to the, the craft of it, meticulously uh, worked out. But just with a trick of writing, you could be pushing uh, the actual ending in either direction, right? So, like, we we were super sus of Jan, but I could have also seen that still being a red herring and something else kind yeah. of tying it together. Yeah. So, you, you know, we weren't 100% confident that that was, like, we had it all figured out. And that comp complexity sort of, like, and all these balls in the air is what kind of keeps you going forward. Also, because I just really liked the characters and was on board for whatever they were doing yeah it all has to be equally plausible mm -hmm. until the moment when you find the definitive truth i mean right up until the point when she, you know when her face changes and you go oh oh okay yes it really was her you know when steve martin finally says oh, no, 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 this is what you did to tim kono isn't it and she goes yes you know, it's not until that moment <laughs> or right up until that moment as you said annette right up until that moment they could plausibly pull it back yep. and go no 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 she's a red herring she didn't do it um and it, yeah again that's just kind of what you have to do with a good mystery. But so many, the reason I keep harping on about this is because so many TV shows and frankly, modern novels as well fail. They fall down at yes. that particular hurdle oh, yeah. and you get to a point too early where there is no other plausible suspect. And it's a real credit to this series that that wasn't the case, that right up until that moment, it could still have been Howard the Cat Guy. Yes. It's, it's also beautiful how... Uh, these are intelligent people. You know, some of them are acting sillier at times. You know, Martin mm -hmm. Short. Oh, right, but they're not idiots for the silly. sake of plot. Yeah, exactly. And at, you know, right up into the last episode, where you think, you know, oh well, Steve's protecting 
protecting his girlfriend. You know, he doesn't believe them. And then you realize, oh, no, he's been recording their entire conversation from the start. Mm -hmm. And you go, all right, so you're smarter than you seemed. But then she poisoned him a different way than he expected. (laughs) So she's smarter, too, right? (laughs) Everybody is really intelligent. Her the moment when you realize that she was sort of rooting for him to finally figure it out because Mm -hmm. she thought that like, you know, like it was going to bring them closer together or whatever. And like watching that part of it, like I thought she was very creepy. She was a very, very scary (laughs) uh, bad guy Mm -hmm. to be the bad guy in Mm -hmm. all of this. So like watching her be like, yes. And then you figured that out too. I'm so (laughs) proud of you. And just being like, yikes, you know, as as they find, what did they call her? Uh, She's, a poisoner with a label makers or a psychopath yeah. with a label maker or something like that. Psychopath and, with a label maker. And like when you realize like that's what you're up against, like that to me was was a very big moment. Uh there were a number of times I didn't get to watch this with uh other people like Annette did, but um uh, there were a number of points where I sort of had to pause or like uh, pause for a minute and shout about something and then back up and watch again closely to make sure I didn't miss something the first time through as I was like blown away by whatever it was they were telling me and and watching the parallel of everyone sort of coming to the Jan conclusion at the same time like the way they paced that and the way everything got put together and how it would get real tense on one side and then you'd cut back to the other people and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mabel and uh martin short whose name i can't remember on the show oliver uh, oliver oliver mabel and oliver are like finding the knife in the vent and finding her little drawer of poison and and on and on <laughs> and then cutting back to him thinking he outsmarted her but she's outsmarted his outsmarting and all of the way that that all of that came together was really really fun to watch the, the editing on this throughout was superb and that speaks to you know what you would say. the pacing is a lot of that is controlled by the editor uh even oh, in yeah. a, a, a half hour show like this and yeah it was very well done i actually just looked up i hadn't looked at who the editors were and the lead editor was julie monroe who normally works in film hmm. um uh. yeah interesting um I'm not entirely sure why necessarily uh they got somebody who normally does in fact, she's worked for Oliver Stone, I think. Uh, normally does movies for TV, but it clearly worked. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I would love to point out about that final episode especially, I, there's there's a lot of great comedy through the whole series, but once Steve Martin is poisoned and is trying to, you know, uh, save himself before his body shuts down, <laughs> and so he's, you know, he's slithering across the floor, he's trying to get at the, into the elevator. He can't speak clearly. He's doing all of the slapstick. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, he's 76 years old. Yeah. I hope I'm that limber when I'm 76. The, the farce with the elevators. Like, I oh, love that they so even beautiful. managed to get a traditional bit of, you know, of corridor and mm-hmm. the closing doors farce into this mm-hmm. with those elevators. I yes. was rolling around <laughs> on the floor during that sequence. So funny. It was delightful. I didn't get to watch it uh, the night it the night it dropped, uh, and so the next day we were talking about it uh, in the incomparable Slack, and I just remember David going, "Okay, I'm not telling you anything about the show, but I'm going to tell you. Remember, as you watch, he's 76. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so amazing. And then and then to have the scene where he's, uh, you know, they've they've found him and they strap him in the little wheeling 
uh, oh, the dog doggy carrier, stroller. Right? And so he's just <laughs> yeah. sort of, you know, con- compressed in there. And they have the big confrontation with Jan. And suddenly he stands up and he does the traditional Brazos detective <laughs> denouement. And we haven't even said who Brazos is, but that's a character. His character played on TV for many years in a hack TV show. And, you know, he gets up and he does this whole thing and then cut to him still sitting strapped and going, <laughs> but again, how clever, because they so set funny. that up. Yeah. Like throughout, it's been a comedy moment that he keeps reciting Brazos lines and pretending they're his own. And so <laughs> when he does yeah. that, you could believe it. You know, you yeah. again, it's this yeah. two two different layers for the first layer is that you think, oh, that's just his Brazos speech that he's giving now, not really him. And then, of course, the second layer is, oh, no, it's not even happening at all. He's just imagining it. <laughs> or he's doing it, but he can't. And and you think for a split second, he's outsmarted her yeah. after yes. all. And then, yeah. nope, no, that's just in his head. <laughs> I just, I love this show. It took me by surprise, too. I didn't expect to love it. I did. Because... I've seen enough of their later work to be like, well, it'll be fine. They're doing TV. I've had a lot of take or leave with with yeah. kind of both of them, I think. Uh Martin Short and Steve Martin. So But it this was, was this was beautiful. Yeah. It was so and it was fun. Well, and by the time I finally watched it, I'd 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 already heard from everyone that it was good. And I had my, my one friend, Mm. she and her husband watched it. And then the first three episodes, and then they watched it again with their oldest daughter. And then they watched again with their oldest and youngest (laughs) daughter because they just had to get everyone on board. And then they were just, so she kept telling me it was so good. And so I was like, I have to make time to watch this because, you know, I, I, like I said, I hardly knew anybody who watched it. So I had heard it was good, but only from a couple of people. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're people whose taste I trust, but nevertheless, I was like, if it's so good, why aren't more people talking about this? <laughs> Apparently, we just didn't find each other. Right. Yeah. Now we know yeah. for season two who to talk to. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yes. it was each of us were the only, pe- like, except for Annette, like, each of us was the only person we knew who was, like, watching it. And so we didn't have any, we couldn't find anyone else who was doing it already. Right. I mean, we, we had to come together in Slack. I mean, that's pretty much, I don't know anyone else here who watched it except you know people in the house uh, i think it did yeah. really well though like uh i it did. i heard that it, it did, was yeah. phenomenally yeah. successful so you know i look forward to more it was hulu's i remember reading somewhere that it was hulu's most watched and highest rated original comedy certainly i'm not sure about mm-hmm. other original productions but certainly their best rated comedy ever yeah for their original yeah. productions so i mean i don't know how many of those there have been but still that's pretty you know, that's pretty remarkable. And it was watched by an awful lot of people, yeah. There have been a disturbing number. <laughs> <laughs> now, the the setup for season two, that's another thing that I want to talk about. Because yes. the, the series starts with this very dramatic, you know, oh, she's over a body and uh, it's not what it looks like. Which I had completely forgotten about. I had, about. Too. I had Me I too. too. I was like, completely right. <laughs> And then when I came back to it after we have, oh, tie-dyed sweatshirt guy oh the body had a tie-dyed sweatshirt mm-hmm. oh my god well and the knitting needles which they yes. set up they set up in episode one she even talks about how she fantasizes about killing people with knitting needles and then I... it's never seen or mentioned again yeah and then midway through 
when you know we've had all the setup of Cinda Canning and her true crime podcast, oh, and, and and you know they come to her for advice, and you know so she's aware of them. And then midway through, we have you know what it's like six months from now, and she's hosting a show called Only Murderers in the Building. I just and you don't know what it's what she's talking about because it could be about this season's mystery, and we find out in the last scene of the last episode. It's about next season's mystery. Yeah. Which, you know, mind-blowing. Yeah. This show is very, I think, it's rewatchable. And I think, because I've only watched it through the one time, I feel like I need to watch it again. And then I'll probably watch it again right before the next season (laughs) starts to drop. And, And as you watch it again, watch the opening credits carefully. Because they change each week, They're and different. there are little clues mm-hmm. in the yeah. animation. Yeah, they do. Which, again, you know, that's that's a level of craft you don't often get on. TV. Which I also really liked because it sometimes seems like um, opening, like you know, speaking to the the craftsmanship on the show. Like it seems like a lot of opening credits aren't that interesting, and you know, everything has a skip intro button on it now, so you don't even have to watch them. And getting to go through them, that was why I noticed it, because I sort of enjoy the theme music. And I was like, oh, I mm-hmm. like looking at this animation. Like, it's kind of cool. And then I was like, wait, that's not the, that's not what we saw last time. <laughs> and then I went back and looked. And yeah, it was fun after that to pay attention. In in the quiet episode, as we pass Mabel's window, you, you see in big letters, silence. Mm-hmm. Which... Why? Why do we need? Why do we need that? Well, we find out. <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't even talked about something I think that all of us probably enjoyed on a meta level is <laughs> the podcasting part of it, which the amount of equipment yeah, oh, yes. Mar- Oliver has, like how many oh, mics yeah, yeah. does he have, and how many techniques do they use for recording, and the whole like uh, that added such a level of enjoyment to to this that just you know. I, I'm sure lots of people thought that part was funny, but just being uh, like knowing the act of putting together and editing and recording podcasts, mm-hmm. oh, it yeah. just brought so much joy. Steve Martin almost fainting in the closet because he's yes. so hot. That was yes. uh, that did it. That did amuse me. The one thing that I kind of, I mean, I, I thought all that stuff was funny, but it was so clearly written from the perspective of people who the only podcasters they know yes. are these professionally run outfits yes. with full-time yes. fully paid producers who record in studios in Manhattan and I'm mm-hmm. like that's that's not that's not like probably 90% podcasts, guys. it's a very small <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like those it, eight people don't make all the podcasts. I they mean, make right, all the money yeah. from podcasts, right. but <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> but they don't make all the podcasts. And, like when Oliver demands, you know, five figures for sponsorship, and I'm like, I would love right. forty five thousand right? dollars to kidding? make a podcast series. Like, Are you what? kidding? Where's <laughs> no? I I think I've spent all of about um, thirty bucks. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. So you're you're saying we're not getting? paid a, like a lot of money to do this with you david we're not getting paid enough enough you're not getting paid at all well i mean jason has this whole grave robbing thing yes and... exactly anything yeah. i believe we're being paid in dips uh, <laughs> that was a lovely touch on that character yeah it like just, oh no, no i don't the, eat food <laughs> all the bits of it were really fun but there were a couple of moments where i was watching and went like 
why do you have that giant you could do this with the like yeah i was sort of you know like everybody mm. he just sort of presumed like he was gonna need all this high-end equipment well, and he has like, no money you could just be doing this with your phone yeah exactly yeah. well and it's it's the delusion i mean that that is part oh, yeah. of the character whereas yeah. you know steve martin is just like i'm gonna set up my phone under a pillow and it works. It's fine. But it, but it is also true. You know, we know people, and certainly I have encountered people oh, in both yeah. New York and LA who really do think that that's how podcasts are made because all they see are the big budget podcasts that really are made that way, not realizing that they are big budget, you know, f- backed, funded podcasts, and that most of the stuff they're listening to is really not. <laughs> yeah. And I feel super set up with my fancy uh, $100 mic and uh, some headphones. You know, like that's yeah. like I have that made all the <laughs> exactly. difference, like just getting a simple, basic yeah. mic. That's all you need. Oh, yeah. The number of people I've told who are like, you know, oh, I couldn't possibly be a podcast. I'm like, yes, you can. Do you have the headphones that came in the box with your phone? Yes, you can make a podcast. What? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you've listened to them. You just don't know you have. And then to watch people have that like moment of it was just very funny. So Uh, again, a, a simple production design thing that I loved was revealing the episode title at the beginning of each episode. As if you're looking at yes. a podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 That was just, again, a nice touch. You but don't need to go to this trouble, but they made did. me just go want to listen exactly. to that podcast. Exactly. I'm and like, where's the podcast? I literally looked for it. I opened my app and I was like, they must oh. have made a podcast episode to go with this. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. All I ever found was other people going, I want to listen to the podcast <laughs> that they made. Where is it? <laughs> now, now, what's really interesting to me is that uh, I saw an interview. Apparently, Steve Martin had this idea like 10, 12 years ago, but it didn't have the podcast element. It didn't have fans. It didn't have any of this stuff because that wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it was literally going to be about three old guys who live in, in an apartment building. And, and that's why it's called Only Murders in the Building is that they're interested in solving a mystery, but they'll only do it if it happens in the building. And, <laughs> ah, right. You know, right. so it's. But but he's had that in his head, and he just you know it's just kind of there. And then all of a sudden, now you have this whole other element to it that that kind of makes the show. It kind of makes sense oh, yeah. for them to bond over this true crime thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to just oh we like solving mysteries. I also love right. the idea of a building that continues to have murders all the time, but people keep living yeah. there, like the small towns yeah. that have yeah. like high murder rates because you have a detective there. <laughs> well, right, you know yeah, it's, it's the boondocks you got to watch mm-hmm. out for. It's the uh, it's the Jessica right. Fletcher uh, exactly yeah syndrome, isn't it? She, she I, framed Paradox. them all. I, yeah. I want to give a shout out here to Scott McNulty, who we all know from uh, other shows on the Incomparable <laughs> Network. Who many years ago, when we were all collectively discussing ideas for cozy crime series, said that he'd had an idea of what uh, some time ago of a series which was people, somebody who lived in an apartment building and investigated a different murder every book in that building and when i heard the premise for this i was like oh scott they beat you to it someone owes you money dude (laughs) i feel bad for him um but yet you've got to have those two things again the you know a show about old guys solving murders in their building would be fun and interesting but it wouldn't have that that je ne sais quoi that spark that thing that sets it apart and so marrying it with the true crime podcast angle is what makes it so good. You know, it kind of elevates it. And making it multi-generational. I think adding the yes, younger yes, character yes. and not just three old guys yeah. is part of the magic. 
Yeah, because that original description sounds like one of those uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short shows that I could take or leave and might leave yeah. because it you're like, oh, that it's fine. Like maybe I'll put it on in the background or something, but it, it not... could have been fine, but it would only have been fine. Right. right. It certainly wouldn't have been a show where I would have gone. So, David, we're going to there's going to be a podcast about this, right? We're going to do a podcast. There's going to be a time <laughs> when we can all talk about this together. It's, it's not a show that you would have been saying to your friends. You've got to watch yes. this. It's so right. good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. NCIS New York apartment. It's, you know. <laughs> It wouldn't have been a thing I would have sought out. Like, I need to talk to somebody about this television program. And, you know, it's it's like, Anthony, you were saying, uh, Steve Martin has never done anything for you. I've always been hot and cold on Steve. Like, I, I, you know, everybody loved the jerk when I was young. I never found that funny. Or the man with two brains. Dead men don't wear plaid. I found hilarious and it didn't do well. Oh, I love that one. That one and Roxanne. It was, it was sort of like these really weird, subtle, dry, deadpan Steve Martin things. Those were the things I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a comedy special he did for NBC in 1978. This is how vividly it stuck in my head, where he basically does a music video for the Marty Robbins song El Paso, where <gasps> yes! he's a cowboy, right? And he is the only human in it. All the other humans are actually chimpanzees. Uh All of the horses are elephants. And there is no, it's never remarked upon nothing. It's just done (laughs) as is, straight. Mm -hmm. That stuck with me. I was seven. That has stuck with me all these years. And when I saw, I finally saw it on YouTube a couple of years ago. And I was like, yeah, it's exactly the way I remembered it. (laughs) And it's not even the funniest thing in the show. But that was the thing that stayed with me. I, I just, I love when when he sort of dials it down and he's mm-hmm. not crazy he's not wild and crazy steve martin he's doing something more than that i think that was part of where a lot where roxanne got a lot of attention is because yeah there was no there was very little steve martin in that performance there's like sort of the bit like the bit in the bar where he's you know i could come up with better jokes than you could you know here's 20 of them right off right. the top of my head like there's a little bit there but for the most which, part which is straight out of Cyrano right mm-hmm. I but mean it's the, not even yeah that that know, wasn't like he just takes he, it to an extreme he brought a little bit of that of of himself to that but for the most part you know it would I think that was what I remember when it came out like a lot of the reviews were like you know there's very little Steve Martin you know quote Steve Martin in this Steve Martin movie and it's really nice to see and that's part of what I think makes it really fun to watch is because you know that's who he is and everything and 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 watching him do something completely different was a lot of fun like I I watch his Pink Panther movies and I stop watching them because (laughs) you watch them but not for long (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have Um. watched them I certainly yeah, have not. No, no. Planes, no, trains, no. and automobiles. I'll watch that. But uh, yes, sure. You know, I like sure. that one too for the same reason. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which yeah. Again, because he's, he's, he's the straight. Is it character. L.A. Story? Yeah. I think it's called. Yeah. Yes, I like that one. Those L.A. Stories. Those are my two favorite delightful. Steve Martin things: is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and and L.A. Story, which I really enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I I picked up his book Side Effects, which is mostly it's a collection of things he's done for the New Yorker. And again, it's it's that sort of straight deadpan weird as opposed to, hey, I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, th- you know, when I saw the opening credits to this, I love the New Yorker styling. It's the New Yorker font. It's, it you is. Know, and it's, yeah. it's very much in that tone. 
I really, really just one of the funniest things to me was when Jane Lynch showed up as his uh, stunt double <laughs> where and like every Sounds time the pataki. subtlety of well, it's not even that subtle, but every time she shows up, she shows up in the same outfit as him. And then yes. like yes. they are mimicking yes. each yep. other. Well, she's mimicking yep. him working in sync. Mm-hmm. And it's just like they don't comment on it they just like it's like the way they set that up it's just like they know each other so well that they she just automatically wears the same clothes and automatically does everything exactly the same way and the gender swap of it too is just so silly and funny well yeah. and that you know she she doubled him in all the mm-hmm. sex scenes on the show yeah. right yeah. that's ridiculous <laughs> and and then she's she inadvertently stole his his significant other and you know just little things like that that felt like the one thing that they maybe didn't do that they could have like in the episode that features her it's even called the double and i was so convinced that there was going to be something in that episode where the killer or somebody anyway attacked him oh me too but got her instead because she's his stunt double you know and that would have been she could have beat beat them off uh but but they didn't do that at all yeah it's they they still have that in their bag i suppose that's true that's true yeah but that was the one thing where i got to the end of an episode and i was like "Ah, i kind of feel like they missed a trick there that's the only time that really happened but i did think she was delightful uh as as is and the character was delightful as well Mm -hmm. when i and i loved how you know his his girlfriend uh, keeps trying to contribute and and misdirect as it turns out. Yeah. And and Saz comes in and is just like, well, have you thought about it this way? That's a crime of passion, right? And she's spot on. She's the best detective of of all of them. Yeah. Just parachutes in with like, what yeah. if what if it was this? Oh, ooh. yeah. It was a it was a lot of fun to watch her and just to watch even. Like just them interacting and seeing how how similar yeah. they were to each other and stuff, and watching, uh, wa- you know, aside from like the clothes and stuff, which does go quite a ways, you know, to making them seem similar, but also just the smaller movements and stuff, and seeing how, like, after the end of the episode where she makes her debut, like it it almost made sense. Like the sex scene thing was just for for a joke, I know, but um, you could see, like, yeah, I could you see where it. maybe yeah. like this would be a thing where like she could step in and you know because they they seem similar enough in like even the small motions and how they listen to each other and stuff like it was all really really well done. Well, and she does present as him, but a less anxious and more like social and funny relaxed version of yeah. him. So it is like she kind of is yeah. the quote unquote better version of him in <laughs> in how she can interact with people, right? Cuz she's just like a little yeah. more like easy and less anxious and not overthinking things. Well, she met all his friends and her nose didn't bleed. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and we haven't even talked about the police detective and and her spouse. I I love them. Oh yeah, girls. she was good. I yeah, love yeah. them. I I want to see a series about them. Yeah, I hope they're back you know, because I like in the whole like she's so disdainful and by the end she's on their side right and so that feels like there's a lot of potential to mine in season two i liked that they managed to have uh because again this is kind of a a trope isn't it of the genre of having the the disbelieving police officer who kind of is yes you know refuses to see that this is a murder or you know to to uh refuses to see who the real culprit is um mm-hmm. but they didn't make her the bumbling detective mm-hmm. which is a really right. common trope really common character type 
uh, in this sort of story. She, you know, she was smart and she was on the ball. She just missed something, uh, you know. And, and then, of course, mm-hmm. we find out it turns out that she missed it because bureaucracy, you know, not because of a mistake right. she made, but just because something she'd requested hadn't been done. Yeah, I feel like her and Ursula, the security person in the basement, or whatever her actual function was. Um, building manager uh, she with was, the yeah. Milk. Building manager, what was yeah. The milk? Um, with oh, the gut gut milk? With the gut milk, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, oh. like, again, it goes back to all of them being terribly interesting in their own way, but I really hope we get more of both of them in season two, just because I thought both of them were terribly interesting, and I want to find out more about what Ursula's deal is, and I want to know how it goes with the detective and the new baby. And are they going to name him Keith? And, you know, all of that stuff. Like, <laughs> I I really enjoyed because it didn't feel like we're going to bring everything to a halt and show you this scene that doesn't really matter about anything. It really felt like we were getting a peek into what her life was like off hours, you know, and 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 all of that still was stuff that was in service to the main story and didn't feel like we're just going over here to give you a different person telling you something so that you can tell the cop figured it out. Like it felt like we were getting something legit out of that and it was really fun to to get to spend time with them and see how it went. So yeah, I liked it, it a lot. It felt organic. Mm-hmm. Uh like gut milk. <laughs> which re- which removes toxins apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you feel better after you drink one of those? Yeah, I found my third my third one today. Yeah. And and I love how, you know, it starts off as a joke and you think, oh, it's gonna be terrible. And you know, progressively by the end they're like, Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I it pairs well with things. Right, but then even having that callback when uh Steve Martin's been poisoned and he's like, you know, bring him yeah. some gut milk. It removes <laughs> toxins. <laughs> It'll be fine, yeah. I also liked the podcast listeners, and I think it's kind of a nice call out because when you're as a listener of podcasts, it's kind of like you do feel like part of the team and that it's a really intimate way of engaging with media. So then isn't it just so right that as a podcast listener, you like kind of show up and then you get pulled in a little bit into the mystery as well and helping to solve things. And uh, and again, a nice eclectic group of people who are, you know, your fan group outside of the building. I'm like, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the look, the look of delight on their faces when they're actually when they uh, stepping into the apartment. And that parting shot from the the older one where he's like, I, I do actually have a job. And he's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also liked how it they, they sort of mirrored the show itself in the way that uh, they were all very different people with very different things happening. And they all came together over this podcast and, you know, ended up outside and ended up inadvertently... Uh, assisting you know in trying to help them go over the evidence and stuff and I I sort of liked how Mm. they were uh, uh, like they were themselves at the beginning of the episode on this other one where they all sat down at the table in the restaurant and were trying to figure out who could have been and eliminating suspects on the one that they had been listening to and I really enjoyed the parallels between uh, the two groups of them it was a lot of fun to watch. I also enjoyed the stereotypical turn from uh, Oliver when He's like on the one moment he's like, no, 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 there are fans. Uh, you know, we we need to sort of listen to them and uh, pay attention to them. And then when one of them steps over the line, he's like, you vultures, get away from me! You know, nothing. <laughs> and then also like sells them swag. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, the merchandise. <laughs> oh, which is which another me? missed opportunity. Like I, it's not really my style, but I would buy one of those tie dye sweatshirts. And the other running bit that I completely forgot about was the doctor. The doctor who like keeps touting for business at the building oh, meetings. Yes. <laughs> I take Venmo. And and now takes cryptocurrency. <laughs> oh, see, this is just making me want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it again. Uh, clearly, clearly, we could keep talking about all the little details because there were so many and they were so well thought Stay out. Stay tuned for next season when we do one for each episode. Indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we will be back, yes. If you haven't seen it and for some reason have been listening to this and wondering what the hell we're talking about, just go watch it. And if you have seen it, I hope you enjoyed us talking about it. Uh, I would if, like to thank my guests. Oh, oh, yes. I was just going to say, if you haven't seen it yet and you've been listening to us, we're sorry for spoiling it. But really, we you were warned at the start. <laughs> we told you going in. I've, I've just been waving a sex toy the whole time. Um, TMI. <laughs> So I will I will thank my guests. Anthony Johnston, thank you for coming. You're very welcome, Dave. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. And Annette Weirstra, thank you. But who is Tim Kono? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Kelly Gamond, thank you. I will burn this podcast down and snort the ashes like it's 1982. <laughs> <laughs> and as for me, I have been your host, David J. Lore. Thank you for listening to A Foot. I'm going to go off and have a New York deli sandwich now. Only David's in the building. Coming next more. <laughs> I'd watch. I wrote that. <laughs> That's mine now. It's on the next uh, radio. What is your the other one? The radio play. Oh, the radio theater. Radio theater. Radio theater. That's it. Only David's yeah. in the building. I love it. That would be awesome.